J.J. Foyt and uh, Bobby Unser, for instance. Stand by for the checkered flag. Absolutely incredible. Danny Sullivan spun in front of Mario Andretti. A.J. has done it. He has won his fourth Indianapolis 500. Beyond the Bricks with Jay Query and Mike Thompson on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Hi there, how are you on this spectacular Tuesday night? And it's that time of year where, you know, you think to yourself, because this happens to me each and every year the last couple of, of years, where the month of May, you know, the calendar rolls May 1st, and it's like, okay, here we go. And then you kind of wait, and you wait, and you heard Kevin mentioning the Grand Prix coming up this weekend. Practice and qualifying for that on Friday. The race will be on Saturday for the IndyCar Grand Prix. And, you know, I have become so accustomed in my mind to thinking the whole month long, so you're really chomping at the bit. And then, of course, it would actually be a week from today when practice begins for the Indianapolis 500 on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, then qualifying Saturday, Sunday, and you go another week, carb day, and then race day. Lots to talk about over the course of the show today. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Mike is apparently trying to connect this is technology in 2021 i realize um the beauty of being able to do things remotely sometimes there's a remote chance they actually work we will hopefully have mike on the show tonight i wanted to talk about um the history of celebrities at the indianapolis 500 because this is an event that is fascinating to me because if you go back really for as long as as you can imagine you know, there have been presidents that have visited the Indianapolis 500, both during the race itself and just the speedway in non-race time. There have been celebrities that have come that have been tie-ins because of the network affiliation, whether it be an ABC race at the time or an NBC race. There have been celebrities that have come here. Usually there was some sort of a sponsor tie-in, whether it be Hollywood actors, musicians, a number of different things. Um, over the years, and oftentimes in the early days, they would stop by up in the broadcast tower to talk to Sid Collins, and Sid Collins, as I had mentioned earlier on this show, one of the things about Sid that was fascinating was Sid Collins thought of himself, and I'm not saying wrongly, I mean rightly so, whatever it may be, but Sid, I think, had aspirations beyond just the Indianapolis 500 and being the voice of the Indianapolis 500. And that included wanting to be kind of like an Ed Sullivan type or a variety show host. And at the time that the IMS radio network got underway and was really rolling by the mid-50s, being the network anchor of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway radio network was a huge prestigious thing because you're talking about something that allowed you to be on you know, some 480 or so radio stations across the country. And so Sid Collins in 19, let's say, 55, 1960, from a sportscasting standpoint, likely was as known to many parts of this country as, you know, somebody that was doing Major League Baseball or, you know, NBA games or whatever else. I mean, obviously the NBA was different than baseball was truly the creme de la creme sport, and baseball on the radio was – a unique thing. But Sid Collins, because of that fame and notoriety, fancied himself 
as somebody who was kind of a connection to the listener to the stars. So when the stars would come to the speedway, it was basically imperative that they stop by up in the pagoda to talk to Sid Collins. Some of those conversations were mundane. Some of them were fascinating. Some of them were humorous. And we hope to play those over the course of the show today. Do we have Mike Brad? Do we know? You can you can talk to me on the air. That's fine. You can try to tell us, Joe. I'm trying to see if we can hear you. Uh, Mike, if you can hear me, just jump in at any point. But at any rate, uh, until we have Mike, because he has all of the audio, um, until we have Mike, I wanted to share something that happened today. I did a trivia question on Twitter, and I thought it was fascinating, the answers that I received. So on Twitter earlier today, I did a trivia contest, and in the trivia contest, I asked, of the driver's in all-time laps led in Indianapolis 500 history, Takuma Sato of the multiple winners, so of, of drivers who have won the race more than once, Takuma Sato is, has the least amount of laps led at IMS with 78. But the question I asked was, what driver among the multiple winners has the second highest number of laps led in their Indianapolis 500, Indianapolis Motor Speedway career. Now, so many people. I mean, it was incredible the number of people, the the, the guesses that I received, and I was very appreciative of the people that, that weighed in. Um, the number one most common answer was Dan Weldon. I mean, almost everybody said Dan Weldon. Stephanie Daly said Billy Arnold, which is a really good guess. Montoya was guessed by a few people. But the actual answer, and it's surprising, the actual answer is Allenser Jr. So Allenser Jr. is the the among the multiple winners, the driver with the second highest total of laps led in their Indianapolis Motor Speedway Indianapolis 500 career. The list among multiple winners. Allenser Sr. is first with 644. Then A.J. Foyt with 555. Wilbur Shaw at 508. Emerson Fittipaldi at 5.05, Bill Vukovic 4.88, Bobby Unser 4.40, Rick Mears at 4.29, Gordon Johncock at 3.39, Louis Meyer at 3.32, Dario Franchitti at 3.29, Elio Castroneves at 3.05, Johnny Rutherford 2.96, Roger Ward 2.61, Maury Rose 2.56, Dan Weldon 2.35, Tommy Milton at 2.18, Juan Pablo Montoya at 193, Ari Leyendike at 188, Allenser Jr. at 110, and Takuma Sato at 78. And that's the way they ranked in terms of the number of people that, that – and I understand it. I mean, Weldon was so popular. I think people forget the year. Uh, Mike Thompson, when it comes to talking about Weldon's driving record, the reality is – we don't have Mike now? Okay. Uh, the reality is that I think people forget the year that Weldon was so dominant in the first year that he drove for Chip Ganassi. He went out and drove for Chip Ganassi in that first year, and if it were not for a punctured tire, you know, he led, let me see how many laps he led in that particular race, but that's where he really stockpiled them up. Obviously, in his second win, the number of laps he led, not near, you know, it was one, right? He he led, but he led the most important one. That's the thing. He led absolutely the most important one. Um, Weldon led in 2006 he led five times for 148 laps 
So when you lead 148 laps in a single race, you got a pretty darn good chance of moving your way up. And that's exactly what he did. Um, so Weldon, a great, a great guess, but the actual answer, like I mentioned, was Alan Sir Jr. Uh, I'll tell you what, we're going to take a break early so that we can reset and I can try to get things uh, figured out here with Brad in terms of whether or not we have Mike. We'll do that. We'll come back in two minutes. You are listening to Beyond the Bricks, and you're listening to it on 107.5thefan.com. The Indiana union construction industry remains focused on getting the job done and keeping our communities running. We all look forward to getting back on track. For over 100 years, our contractors and skilled tradesmen and women built and maintained Indiana's hospitals, highways, bridges, schools, and utilities, essential infrastructure that keeps our state moving forward during all conditions. And with safety as a top priority, we're ready for whatever it takes to rebuild our economy. We built Indiana's past, and we'll be there to build Indiana's future. The Indiana Union Construction Industry, value on display every day. This is Steve Knowles. President of the Bricklayers and Allied Craft Workers Local 4, Indiana, Kentucky. Our relationship with the Indianapolis Motor Speedway dates to 1909, when our members laid over 3 million bricks in just 63 days, setting the foundation for a great American tradition. We put the brick in the brickyard. Bricklayers Local 4, skilled on principle, union by choice. More than 100 million wild animals are killed each year, illegally. Poaching is just one of the risks animals face at our hands. I'm Tom Barry. I'm an actor. I grew up in the beautiful rural countryside of Ohio where animals roamed freely in the open forests. I have a deep concern to help preserve those open spaces for our wildlife friends so they can live and thrive like they used to. Destruction of their habitats threaten their very existence. The best way to protect wildlife is to protect the land where they live. The Humane Society Wildlife Land Trust works with private landowners to protect wildlife, to preserve natural habitats, and establish permanent sanctuaries. To learn more or to work with the Humane Society Wildlife Land Trust, call 800-729-SAVE. That's 800-729-SAVE. Or visit wildlifelandtrust.org. Thank you. Ten minutes after eight in Indianapolis. Actually, it's ten minutes after eight everywhere in the Eastern Time Zone, truth be told. Jake Query here, and we're going to try this again. This is, you know, it's great because Channel 8, uh, Wish TV, did a very nice story on Rob Hendricks, my high school radio uh, teacher at WJEL when I was doing high school radio with Adam Alexander. And part of the fun of doing high school radio was learning um how to deal with curveballs and things like that. And every once in a while, it's fun to be reminded of those days of trial and error. So we're going to do trial and error here right now on the air. Uh, Mike, you can hear me, correct? I can currently hear you. Can you hear me? I can. Okay, so let's begin with this. I wanted to talk about celebrity guests to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And I was talking about the fact that, you know, the oftentimes they were sponsor-related visitations, right? But yet, you know, I don't know which is more the case. And so let me begin by asking you this, because I find it fascinating. Did the Speedway validate the stardom of a star, or did the stardom of a star validate the Speedway in, let's say, the late 40s and early 50s? I think I, I think it's a little of both. I mean, I think there's, there's so much cachet 
with, uh, you know, with coming to the Speedway. And, and especially after Tony Holman took over, it was, you know, it was fashionable to go see, you know, in fact, it was, you know, that was known to go see Wilbur and Tony. They'll take care of you and, and you'll have a good time. And so it, it really became fashionable to do that. And, you know, people would go back to Hollywood and report, you know, what a wonderful time they had. And, and it, it became something that was was really part of the culture. And so I think there's a little bit of both. I think, obviously, um, the Speedway got a great rub from, you know, Clark Gable being here and Barbara Stanwyck and these, these huge stars that were brought in to kiss the winner and things like that. But but obviously, I mean, I think the stars, you know, they benefited too because if you you look at most of them, I think there's a couple small exceptions, but I think if you look at most of them, especially the the ladies who you know kissed the winner in Victory Lane and were you know getting their their photograph taken for uh, you know newspapers around the country and around the world, they really enjoyed it. And for the most part, almost all of them, you can tell, were having a good time and and enjoying being a part of the the festivities and. And I think I think there was really something that that both parties really got something out of. Okay, so before we get to some of the audio of those interviews of which I talked about, I want to begin with this. One of the biggest stars, perhaps the biggest, and there have been, as I had mentioned, Mike, there have been a number of presidents that have visited the Indianapolis 500 or the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. For example, I know that Ronald Reagan visited the Speedway, not actually during a race, but he was on the grounds at one time. Um in their post-presidency, I know strictly because I was covering the race that morning and it was amazing, the the Secret Service and watching the Secret Service work when both Bill Clinton and George Herbert Walker Bush were at the Indianapolis 500. Uh, George Herbert Walker Bush was a guest of Tom Kelly. I can't remember who Bill Clinton was a guest of, but they both came after their presidency, but it was on race morning. And it was quite the buzz having them there. But in terms of non-politicians coming to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, in my opinion, and there have been a lot of big ones, Mike, but in my opinion, the biggest star was probably Clark Gable. That's subject. I mean, you know, people can debate, who, but, but he was a big one. Now, there is a fascinating story about Clark Gable, which I don't know that we... I'm just going to assume we're at liberty to discuss, but... There is actually a car still in Indianapolis that Clark Gable drove during his time visiting IMS, correct? That is correct. Okay, now that car, is it a Jaguar? That is also correct, yes, absolutely. Okay, now am I at liberty to tell what I understand to be the story of that car and then we can confirm or deny whether or not I'm in the ballpark of accurate? Oh, I, you can tell whatever story you want. I don't have any skin in this game anymore, man. Okay. <laughs> so you can, you can tell any story you want. So it is Now, has that car ever been displayed? Yes. Okay. So my understanding is that what year did Clark Gable come to IMS? Uh, he was here with Barbara Stanwyck, I believe, was it 40? Uh, well, now let's see. It would have been later than that because Barbara Stanwyck, I think, kissed Johnny Parsons in 50. So uh, I think it would have been 50. Then. Okay. But he, well, Clark Gable was here. Clark Gable was here, I believe, in 46 because I believe he's in. Uh, there's a famous shot of Clark Gable sitting in turn one, if you look, and, and it's, it's on display uh, pretty prominently. If you look at the cars going into turn one, there's a very prominent person sitting in the stands. And if you look right at it, it's Clark Gable sitting in the stands. So. Uh, I believe Clark Gable was here a couple different times. So my understanding is 
that Clark Gable, when he first came to the Speedway, and I don't know, Mike, whether it was that he requested to Tony Holman that he be given his own car or whether that Tony Holman to sweeten the deal to get Clark Gable to come here. And I realized there was some, uh, I believe, movie promotion that went into it. But I don't know if it was, you know, an incentive to get Clark Gable to come here or whether or not Tony Holman simply did it as a nice gesture. I, I understand it to be that. I understand it to be Tony Holman did it as Hoosier. You know, you know, Tony Holman was the ultimate Hoosier hospitality person. Right. And as I understand it, this was a gesture he did on his own uh, to, you know, to reach out to say, hey, you know, we've got this major, major mega star here and, and let's do something nice for him. So he presented Clark Gable with a Jaguar convertible that had very limited mileage on it, correct? As I understand it. Now, Clark Gable stayed downtown and was here a few days and went to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and and went from the airport to downtown to the Speedway. And there had become probably urban legends or stories from people who were excited about Clark Gable venturing out in Indianapolis during the time that he visited. And, of course, people were like, there's no way that he was going out and about or driving around town. Be, you know, he was the biggest movie star of the of the time period. People would have known that. And that was apparently subject to debate, and it was later confirmed because somebody said, wait a minute, when Clark Gable left, he allowed the car to stay in the possession of Tony Holman, and they checked the odometer. And the odometer indicated that, yes, in fact, Clark Gable enjoyed Indianapolis during his time here. Where he went, what he did, who he accompanied, I don't know. Those things were, I'm sure, probably tabloid fodder of the era. But nonetheless, the reality is that Clark Gable enjoyed Indianapolis, which I've always thought was pretty cool. And the car has occasionally been on display on the grounds of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Not permanently so, but is occasionally on display. And I got to admit, Mike, pretty darn cool car. Very cool car. Uh, used to see that car a lot and uh, was always impressed by it every time I saw it. So, yeah, very, very cool car. There's no question. And to, to, to have something that's connected to Clark Gable, I mean, you, you know, that's it doesn't get much cooler than Clark Gable. Um I think I was off by a year on the the photograph in turn one. I think it's forty seven actually, but it doesn't it doesn't get much cooler than Clark Gable. And 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 as you said, to, to think about the fact that Clark Gable is kind of tooling around town in this car, yeah, yeah. I mean that's a that's a neat portion of history. Okay, now Dinah Shore, you had mentioned Mike that occasionally famous women actresses, singers, whatever it might be, entertainers would come to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, and they came usually as guests of a corporate sponsor or some sort of a tie-in, and also, in doing so, had the pleasure or the honor, whichever way you'd like to say it, um, of the tradition of, you know, now, of course, the, the 500 Princess gives the kiss on the cheek to the winner, and that was the responsibility, oftentimes, of a, of a prominent female that was brought in. That includes Dinah Shore, who came, and we're going to play that in a second, but before that, set up for us Dinah Shore's visit to Indianapolis and why her conversation with Sid Collins, while historically significant, also has a tragic tie. Well, Dinah Shore also, in addition to being there, she 
actually sang Indiana before the race, and she's the one who uh, she sang it and asked the, the crowd to join her for a second verse, which was actually a, a, you know a kind of a neat little thing that had never really done been done before. At the time, there was a. Does popular... anybody know the second verse? That's like asking for the second verse of "God Bless America," right? Like people, are like, wait a minute, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think what was neat. Well, to me, what was there was a at that time there was a kind of a popular. Mitch Miller had kind of a popular sing along show, and I think she was doing it in the tradition of that. You know, you know, sing along with Mitch was was this thing at the time that was kind of a nationwide thing. And I think what what Dinah Shore's goal was. I'm going to sing the first time, and then you join me in for a second. I don't think it was the second verse so much as it was maybe a second chorus, um, you know, run through. But Dinah Shore was there, uh, you know, on be on behalf of Chevrolet because she had a you know a sponsorship contract for her uh, her program at the time was was Chevrolet. So that's why she that's what the tie-in with Chevrolet was, and so she came to the booth to talk to Sid um, and. She was, you know, very excited to be involved with, you know, with the race. I mean, you could tell she's having a good time, and and she's she's very pleased to be there. And and you know, Sid compliments her on on the the job she had done and everything like that. So, we'll get to hear Dinah Shore and Sid in the booth. Okay, this is Dinah Shore in the nineteen fifty five Indianapolis five hundred. Now we have the uh, lovely young lady, brown-eyed and honey-haired, I think the publicity report says, which is certainly true. Songs just with Dinah Shore. Are you getting uh, ready for your trip to Victory Lane in a couple of hours, Dinah? Oh, I tell you, the moment when I get to present that Borgwana trophy is going to be the thrill of my life. Uh, Sid, I've never quite seen anything like this. Is the pace a lot faster here than down in Winchester, Tennessee, Dinah? A little bit. I would say this beats horses. You used to be a uh, cheerleader at football games, didn't you? That's right, Vanderbilt. They take a lot of cheerleaders out here with the uh, crowd. I, uh, I really, this is really the most uh, unbelievably uh, exhilarating occasion when that pacing car came down the stretch going, what were they going, 96 About 90 miles? miles an hour, 95. <gasps> and that was a Chevrolet, wasn't it? it? Was, I'm glad you said it. I, I don't like to appear commercial, but they say that that's the best start they've ever had in 30 years. Tell me, it was a beautiful start. Is this dress of yours in uh, gypsy red and beige the same color as the pace car on purpose? Or did no, you notice that? I hadn't realized. It's pure white and gypsy red. Well, I could have adapted myself. Oh, my goodness, there goes McGrath. What's the trouble? McGrath is coming in for a pit stop. We'll have a check down there in just a second, Dinah. Do you want to stand by? Sure, I'd love to. Okay, I think Luke Walton perhaps is able to see Jack McGrath come in. Can you, Luke? Not as yet. He must be a few feet away. There's a lot of space out here, isn't there, Dinah? It's hard to catch everything I'll right away. Tell me, uh, are all the pits along this area close by here? Yes, 650 feet of them, right along this very area below the pagoda. Tell me something. How many people have you got here today? I couldn't tell you. We've been trying to find out for years and years, but around 200,000, I would judge. It, uh, Indiana is, uh, I think they've topped everything I've ever had a chance to see before. Donna, I hope that seven-year-old Melissa and your one-year-old Jonathan are listening back in California. His name is John David, but we call him Jody for short. And uh, uh, let's see, what time is it in California? Well, it's 12 o'clock here right now. I judge around They're 10. probably listening. I... Hi. <laughs> You're going to be saying lots of highs and lots of people will be saying hello to you in Victory Lane. I hope you aren't crushed. For the women in the audience, I wonder if you could describe the dress that you have on today. Uh, I had hoped the sun would be shining a little more. It's crisp white cotton, uh, eyelet, I suppose you'd say, uh, and the tie is uh, gypsy red 
or Chevrolet red, shall we say? Looks about, I would say. And white gloves and a bright red coat. Well, it's going to get very, very greasy when you go down to Victory Lane, I'm sure, but it'll be a lot of fun for you. The girls who have been there before have all enjoyed it. It's a, this whole occasion has been a lot of fun, and I'm so glad to have been a part of it. Thank you very much, Diana Shore. Thank you. Thank you. We'll have your shoes back out of the cement very soon, too, where you place them along with Barbara Stanwyck, Marie Wilson, Jane Greer, Loretta Young, and the other girls who have kissed the winner. Now to Charlie Brockman for the standings at this point. That was 38-year-old Dinah Shore back in 1955, and she was not the only celebrity, Mike, to visit with Sid Collins up in the booth, but it was another guest, actually, that during their conversation, the conversation, I believe, took place essentially just after the melee that had involved the tragedy of Bill Vukovic, the two-time winner who was trying to win his third Indianapolis 500. And then suddenly the mood and the atmosphere overall for the race changed. Yeah, well, one of the, one of the tragic aspects of, of that, that whole scenario was there was, a, there was a famous violinist named, and I know I always get his name incorrect, Florian Zabach or Zabach was his name and he was a a famous musician and, and he was well known on television at the time and he the accident had um had happened and he was in the with with bill vukovic it happened and sid was asking him you know who is your favorite driver and and uh, florian says vukovic and he talks about how vukovic is his favorite driver and he was you know there to basically he's you know he's, he's there to see vukovic and Sid, unfortunately, has to segue right out of that interview into making the announcement that, that Bill Vukovic had passed away, which is what I consider really one of the more tragic segues in the, the Speedway Radio Network history because you have a, you know, a famous television personality who says he's, he's there to see Vukovic race, and then Sid has to segue into to Bill Vukovic's passing. And I think he had mentioned even in his answer that he had met Vukovic, like either during practice or during qualifying, and that I only think cemented. He had mentioned, yeah, that he had yeah. just met him a, a couple days before Correct. the race. Yeah. Um, so, at any rate, this becomes more like the norm, right? Of people coming by, and because let's be honest, Mike, when you're listening to the Indianapolis 500 mile race, whether you're at a picnic or whether you're at a lakeside or whether you are in the stands itself or whether you are driving cross-country and you're listening to the race, or whether you are a fan of a car or a driver, or just going out to pick up something from the grocery store and you've got it on, the one thing you're wanting to know is you are dying to know the color of the crisp cotton of the guests up in the booth, right? I've thought about that a lot, definitely. Um, that's one of the things I'm, I'm definitely concerned about. But, I mean, Sid, Sid was, again, we, you and I talked about this the other night. Sid was a guy who was, you know, he was the master of ceremonies for the world's largest, you know, picnic and barbecue. And the, and there was something for everybody. And, and what, you know, Sid, you know, we talked about this the other night on the show, there were stars, there was going to be stars coming into the booth and, and he's going to, he's going to ask the questions that, that he thinks everybody's going to be interested in. And, and, you know, for, for the time, I, I think that that was, those were the kind of questions that were going to be asked. Oh, I absolutely. I, I, you know, so, you know, it was it was really an interesting time, though. I think, you know, I think we talked about this the other night. The, the Sid the Sid Radio Network broadcast and the the Paul Page broadcast, I mean, are really two different animals completely because Sids are are so different. Because 
you'll be listening to the 10 lap rundown with Charlie or John DeCamp or somebody. And, and then immediately Sid will have, you know, one of our next guests coming up. I think we're going to have Cesar Romero or, or, you know, uh, there's other guests I think we're going to hear from later on in the show. And, you know, all of a sudden he's segueing into that and then he's coming back to, to throw down to Luke Walton and the pits and, so it's just a, it's really an interesting dynamic compared to what we have today. Well, and sometimes you mentioned Cesar Romero, which we'll play in a second, but it's sometimes also, as you can kind of tell with Dinah Shore, and it's totally understandable, completely understandable. Sid, again, Sid Collins was as big a star as you had, certainly in Indianapolis, and even nationwide because of the allure of the Indianapolis 500 on radio. But even Sid at times seemed to be, starstruck is maybe the wrong word, but very giddy over having a celebrity in the booth that includes when what go ahead mike oh i was just going to say i'm sorry to interrupt you but I, later on we're going to hear one guest i think in the booth that sid was really giddy to have in the booth well i think it's and the I, one we're I, about to hear right now let's hear from what happened when jane mansfield paid a visit another guest has stopped by a young lady i don't know if this is her first 500 mile race or not but i know that she's been very much uh, enjoyed being seen here at the track because she's a very famous star just back from europe where she made a movie miss jane mansfield hello hi, jane hi sid how are you doing are you having fun yes i'm having a wonderful time this is my first 500 mile race i've been to races in stockton and other places in california but nothing was ever like this <laughs> you know freddie agabation my curly friend here how are you nice seeing you charlie brockman now at the end of the booth charlie, over there. how are you doing Where'd you get this beautiful boot in there that says 500 on it? Well, it was given to me at the hotel this morning where we're staying, the Marriott Hotel here in Indianapolis. So, so I'm all decked out for the race. Well, we certainly <laughs> hope that you enjoy yourself, and thanks so much for stopping we by, sure Jane. We sure are. We, we, did, we got in Wednesday, you know, where we did the Loves of Hercules. Mickey and I co-starred in Europe, and we came in especially from Rome to see the race. Well, you should have a favor. They've nicknamed Jim Herdebees Hercules in this event. Oh, have Really? Yes, indeed. Well, you watch fabulous. it, will you? I think Roger Ward is, is going to come off with it. Well, I, I, we'll see what a good we'll uh, race predictor you are. Thank you, Miss Jane Mansfield. Okay. Right. Uh, Bye-bye. Well, as I turn back around here again toward the racetrack, Mr. Agabation, uh, we have on the track the present time, Mr. Jim Rathman still holding down that lead, and Jane Mansfield's choice, Roger Ward in second spot, and Johnny Thompson in third. Bettenhausen's car evidently uh, is not uh, causing too much trouble, even with the smoke. No, you're right, Sid, and here comes Troy Rutman. He, he just made a quick pit stop, too, while uh, you were looking at what just left. <laughs> Luke Walton now in the south pit. Come in, Luke. couple of things here. Number one, uh, for those of you who are in Indianapolis, when she mentioned the Merritt Hotel, that's, I would presume, the Marat, which is at Meridian and Fall Creek and is now apartments, of course, but, um, you know, legendary building in Indianapolis. But a couple of things, Mike, first... You know, can you imagine the thing that I think is so funny and just how things have changed back then, the cars were going slower, so it took longer for laps to wind down. Yet some of the interviews were so brisk. Now, I would imagine Jane Mansfield probably had a fairly busy schedule while she was there. But nonetheless, I mean, she was in the booth for less than a minute there, right? Yeah, that was actually a a quick, a fairly quick interview. Absolutely. And, And she was there. Um, obviously her, I don't know how many people remember this, but her husband had lived in Indianapolis, um, and was pretty well known in Indianapolis and her husband, of course, uh, uh, Mickey Hargitay, who was the, the world famous bodybuilder who got involved in movies and she met in, in movies. And that's actually how those two met. And, and, uh, of course their, their daughter is, is very well known still today in, in television, uh, Mariska Hargitay. 
from working um, on the Law and Order franchise. I think she's been on the Law and Order franchise for what, like twenty some years now um, on SCU. But uh, yeah, I mean that was a, that was a pretty brisk interview, but. But Sid and Sid and Freddie, you could tell, had a little bit of fun with that one. Oh, you think? His, by the way, his curly friend, Freddie Agabashian, right? <laughs> and and if I've listened to a lot of Sid interviews over the years. I don't think I recall any other interview where the the guest got introduced to to Freddie and to Charlie Brockman, and you know, here's here's these seven other people. I mean, I mean, I don't think. I think that's the only one I recall that ever happening. Now, that was in 1961, correct? That was in 1960. Okay, 1960 when Jane Mansfield, uh, Jane Mansfield made her visit, and then, of course, she herself, in an automobile accident, um, passed away in 1967. Uh, but nonetheless, and, you know, you can you can really tell in the interviews, to me what's interesting is you can you can really tell in the case of both actresses Mike, that they also are kind of on. Does that make sense? I mean, they know it's a different era. It's a different oh, yeah, era, man. but they know it's the role world. that they are to play. Well, they also know that it's a worldwide audience, and this is an opportunity. You know, um, you know. I think I'll be honest. I think Jane Mansfield thought she was going to get a little more time, and so she, you know, she had more to say clearly. And uh, I think she thought she was going to get a little more time out of her interview than than she got, and so. Um, she was she was prepared. I mean, she she came to the table with Roger Ward. I mean, she had she had some content and and she brought it to the table. So um, later on, I'm probably going to tweet out an interesting picture um, that that there's a Sid and Jane Mansfield connection that I think uh, I'm probably going to tweet out a, a picture. So look for that on my on my Twitter feed. Later and that's on at Thompson T H O M S E N four one nine. Correct. That is correct. Okay, at Thompson419. Now, in talking about uh, stars from both television, the small screen, the big screen, that paid visit to the Indy 500, that also includes a guy. I don't know if he came into the booth necessarily to simply make jokes, but the Joker paid a visit as well. That's correct. And one what my, you, this, is actually, this is actually one of my favorite all-time Sid interviews. Um, this, is, this is probably in my top couple – interviews because mainly because of how what happens at the end so i'll i'll let i'll let it play out of course before before we discuss and it. this, is, this what is what year when caesar days. romero paid his visit caesar romero paid his visit in 1966 okay so here we go this is the 1966 indianapolis 500 we have a guest coming by we saw last evening caesar how are you nice to see you let me get, get up here if i can under these wires and say hello to you caesar romero a guest who told us last night at the uh, president's reception for the 500 festival it was his first 500 mile race and i'm sorry it had to start off this way for you my friend well i am too said uh, it is my first race and everything has been so great so far uh, a tremendously exciting time the three days that i've been here up until this present moment uh, Coming here uh, this morning and going around the the track, uh, everybody screaming and yelling and cheering. It was really tremendously exciting. But my heavens, when I saw what happened there, of course I thought that probably somebody must have been very badly hurt. All I could see were tires flying in the air, and it looked as if cars were 
were turning over, and it was uh, an awful mess, but uh, I think we can all be uh, tremendously grateful that no one was badly hurt at all. We're thrilled over that feeling right now oh, with yes, you, Caesar. yes, but it, it's such a shame because these men uh, work so hard all year long for this one chance, and it's uh, it's terrible to see a thing like this happen, to, to have them get out of the race even before the thing actually hardly got started. Well, that's the way they feel about it. This is their life they work for, and this is the big one, you know, today, and not even to have a chance to compete is, is very frustrating indeed. Well, I can understand that. Well, it's a, it's a shame. It's a, it's a, and it's a kind of put, for me, it's put sort of a damper on it. I don't know <laughs> Well, we'll do that. I think once but we start again, of course, you won't see the 33-car field, but you'll see uh, an abbreviated field, and I hope a good race, Caesar. Well, I hope so, too. But it's, it's been a wonderful experience. I'm delighted to have been you. here. Thank you for coming Thank by. Thank you, Seth. I'd like to give you a gold-filled Zippo lighter as a guest of the network here oh, for being on the program. You're very welcome. Thank you, sir. Have a nice time. Cesar Romero, very personable gentleman. Cesar Romero, by the way, that 1966 Indy 500, what they were talking about was the accident that took place, as they had talked about before, even turning a lap, were 11 cars. One-third of the field were eliminated from the race, including A.J. Foyt, Dan Gurney, uh, Cale Yarborough. So some big names were eliminated for Cesar Romero that he missed out on. But the important thing, anytime that happens, Mike, is if you got yourself a heater, you got to have a gold-filled Zippo. And he was thrilled to receive such a parting gift, right? That is my favorite part of any Sid interview from 1966 because everyone who comes to the booth that year gets a gold-filled Zippo lighter. Now, the, he, he basically gets some mixed reactions to the gifts, but Caesar seems delighted with the gold-filled Zippo lighter. So that's one of my favorite <laughs> interviews because Caesar seems delighted to have that gift. And so don't forget now we're only a few weeks away from the Batman movie the famous uh, you know, feature film that uh, came out in 1966. We're only a few weeks away from that actually having come, you know, about to, that's about to come out and hit theaters because that came out at the end of July in 1966. And if you, if you don't know which movie I'm talking about, this is the, the feature film where Batman and Robin have to face all of the, you know, the, the arch villains at the same time. So the Riddler's in that movie. Penguin, you know, of course, played by the great Burgess Meredith, is in that movie. Um, Catwoman is in that movie, but Lee Merriweather plays Catwoman instead of uh, Julie Newmar or Eartha Kitt. So, you know, Caesar's got a huge movie coming out in a couple weeks, and he doesn't even mention the movie, but he gets a gold-filled Zippo lighter nonetheless. Now, when we come back, there were times that it was not just the booth that interviewed people at the race. Oftentimes, that was the responsibility of the pit reporters, including one of them from the 70s that interviewed perhaps the biggest daredevil of the era and a guy who everybody my age had this guy's toy. We will play that for you, but as we do so and take it to break, let's go back and let's listen to another one of our fabulous look-back commercials from yesteryear. This is Sid Collins paying the bills, if you will, back in the Indianapolis 500 broadcast. It is Beyond the Bricks. Planning a luncheon or a buffet? Well, then try Stark and Wetzel Smorgasbord, a full pound package containing four of your favorite Stark and Wetzel sliced luncheon meats. This famous trophy loaf, made of extra lean chopped ham, tempting pickle and pimento loaf, rich and smooth texture, colorful olive loaf with those green olive slices and pimento centers, and wonderful old fashioned loaf with that real home style seasoning. Yes, you get four flavorful luncheon meats, perfect for picnic convenience, for quick lunches, and for party snacks. 
made only of tender, lean U.S. government-inspected meat and flavor-sealed in a vacuum package. Their superb freshness and flavor is guaranteed. So look for Stark & Wetzel Smorgasbord at your store. Get four delicious kinds of Stark & Wetzel sliced luncheon meats in one convenient pound package. Remember, in Smorgasbord, in any meat, you get the best of it when you get Stark & Wetzel. The Indiana Union construction industry remains focused on getting the job done and keeping our communities running. We all look forward to getting back on track. For over 100 years, our contractors and skilled tradesmen and women built and maintained Indiana's hospitals, highways, bridges, schools, and utilities. Essential infrastructure that keeps our state moving forward during all conditions. And with safety as a top priority, we're ready for whatever it takes to rebuild our economy. We built Indiana's past, and we'll be there to build Indiana's future. The Indiana Union Construction Industry. Value on display every day. This is Bob Steinecker, business representative for plumbers, steam fitters, and HVACR service technicians, Local 440. Are you looking for companies who have shown exceptional commitment to sustainable mechanical service in the HVACR industry, as well as the residential and light commercial industry? Log on to mcai.org for more info. UA Local 440 plumbers, steam fitters, and HVACR service technicians, skilled on principle, union by choice. Big Joe here. Stay tuned for All American Heroes, a look at military history at the track brought to you by HeroLoan.com. The VA loan is one of the best benefits of being in the military. The problem has been that most VA lenders don't really care about their customers or the level of service that they provide. At HeroLoan.com, we want to earn your business. We pay for the appraisal and can close your VA loan in as little as 14 days. Get the loan you deserve and apply online today at HeroLoan.com. The only way to VA. NMLS number 1326-241. This is Jake Query of IndyCar Radio. The Speedway hosted the 821st Aero Repair Squadron that provided service and repair to aircraft flying within the United States during World War I. It was stationed on Speedway grounds, which was closed to racing during the war. The squadron was in New York awaiting embarkation to France when the armistice with Germany was signed in November of 1918. HeroLoan.com, the only way to VA. You know, many people my age who went to college, they'll do something great in the future. But I'm doing something great now. If you like seeing what you accomplish every day, why not make that your career instead of a desk job? I know a lot of people without any direction. Well, my direction is up while I help build this high-rise. Your training is free, so you learn while you earn. My friends finished their degree in four years. That's about what it took for us to finish laying down about a dozen new roads. Careers as a union laborer are rewarding and ready now. As a member of Laborers Local 120, you'll earn good pay and benefits with lots of job choices. I do pipeline work. I'm a concrete finisher. I lay miles and miles of asphalt. This is Ward Daniels, business manager of Labor's Local 120. Joining us can lead to a satisfying career for you or someone you know. So join us. Join us. Join us. We are now accepting qualified apprentices and journeymen. Visit LionaBuildsIndiana.org to apply. About 15 minutes left in this variation of Beyond the Bricks. Jake Quarry along with Mike Thompson talking about some of the stars of yesteryear that would come by the Indianapolis 500-mile race. And, again, I talked about, you know, I've seen, obviously, and we have seen a fair amount over the course even recently, whether it be athletes, obviously it became very in vogue in terms of celebrities waving the green flag or driving the pace car. Um, 
oftentimes those are tie-ins with the broadcast partner, whether it be NBC or ABC, as I mentioned earlier. Um, oftentimes it was, you know, for example, when it was Matt Damon and Christian Bale, it was in anticipation of promotion of a racing-themed movie. All of those things come into play. But things began to evolve a little bit in terms of some of the guests being not so much even necessarily the elegant stars of a Dinah Shore or a Jane Mansfield, but rather those that were themselves adrenaline junkies and people who loved racing or people who themselves might have had a racing career. Now, Mike, you grew up in Ohio. We are of the same vintage in the fact that you are also a kid of the 70s and then the 80s. Did you ever have the wind-up Evil Knievel toy that never, ever, 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 ever actually worked like it did in the commercials? I did have that, yes. I had all of – I think I had every Evil Knievel toy. I had the Sky Cycle. Uh, I had I had all of them. Now, Evil Knievel, um, one thing you can say about Evil Knievel, he was not shy on bravery and guts. That goes without saying. But he also wasn't shy on confidence and ego, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so what year did Evil Knievel pay visit to IMS? So th- this would have been uh, 1977. Okay, 1977. This is, of course, the final race with Tony Holman owning the Speedway. Not his family, obviously, but but the final in the lifetime of Tony Holman. And A.J. Foyt's fourth Indianapolis 500 win. It was also the first in which Paul Page anchored the radio broadcast. But it was not Paul Page, but rather down into the pits where Evil Knievel was interviewed. Let's go back to 77. We would like to go now to Chuck Marlowe once again in the pits to talk not with one of the racing drivers or crew, but a name, one of many here. Of course, James Gardner is here. Hank Stram is here. Bob Barker, Jeb Allen, uh, Ed McMahon is here. And standing with Chuck uh, Marlowe is Evil Knievel. Evil, I know this is a big thrill for you. You've thrilled millions and millions of fans across the nation, both in live audiences and on television as well. But how do you feel about the 500? Well, Chuck, this is a real thrill to me to be here with this number 98 crew and Gary Bentonhausen. Uh, we're not we're not putting out as much horsepower as some of the other cars, but we're running a reliable, well-planned race. And when that uh, flag, the checkered flag, comes down, uh, we're going to be there right in there. Gary is doing the right job. I noticed you tried to help a little bit. You got in there and doused him with water at that last pit stop. Yeah, but I, uh, I might get fined for $100 for doing that. So I don't, I, with 10 pit stops, that may be a little expensive. <laughs> okay. Evo, thank you very much. Okay, Best to you. Continue good success and Godspeed. Thank you. Back to you, Paul. Evil Knievel, who kind of a mainstay in his own right on ABC's Wild World of Sports, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, who could forget, like, the King's Island jump over the school buses and all, all those things? And, and, of course, the Snake River Canyon with the Sky Cycle. Uh, yeah, Evil Knievel, I mean, when you talk about icons of the 70s, and Evil Knievel showed up uh, wearing some really outstanding suit jackets, if you see some of the pictures from that from that era. And what was really cool is, I don't you know, people may or may not remember this, but Gary Bettenhausen, his driving suit that year was basically Evil Knievel's, you know, an homage to Evil Knievel's jumpsuit that he would wear for his motorcycle jumps. So there's some really interesting photographs of of the two of them together in 1977. Now, here's the thing, Mike. I I think we just found a common ground here that I've been – nobody – on the planet, I thought, did this but me. This is beautiful. Now, you, we talked about the fact that you say some words differently 
What's the one word that I've mentioned that you say differently? Uh, usually you say common tree and then, uh, I say process differently and I say organization. Okay. That's just the Canadian in me. Okay. The, the word that you just used to describe the two wheeled vehicle that evil Knievel had and rode on is what? The, the motorcycle he drove. I could have sworn you said motorcycle. I, I said motorcycle. Oh, no, I, I said motorcycle for like the first 20 years of my life. Cause it's a bicycle. Oh, really? No. I don't believe I said motorcycle, but I, maybe I did. Okay, because I, I always went with with motorcycle because of a bicycle. It's not a bicycle; it's a bicycle. So yeah, I never. So I always said motorcycle, and then finally, when I was like in college, I mentioned a motorcycle, and people were like, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> and I'm like, "I don't know. Isn't it a motorcycle?" And now I realize it's a motorcycle. I was so excited right there because I felt like a lifetime I was finally exonerated there. Oh no, that would have been that would have been a nice bonding moment for us though. For I sure. really felt like, man, we we almost had I almost had we my did. vindication. But we you know, did. I'll we live almost with had it. it there. Um in terms of Tony Holman who I'd mentioned, and in nineteen seventy seven, AJ Foyt wins the race. He gets, of course, Tony Holman goes around and does the victory lap with him. Tony Holman himself was you know, there is no one individual, I don't think you could say, that catapulted the Speedway into the stratosphere where it ultimately went into the late 70s and into the early 80s. Nobody is more responsible for that in terms of their contribution than for more so than Tony Holman. But Tony Holman uh, occasionally would be down there, and he also would be interviewed during the course of the race. That's exactly what, uh, what happened when Luke Walton caught up with not only Tony Holman, but James Garner as well. At the pace car was Tony Hellman and TV star James Garner. Tony, thousands would love to have your job of riding in the pace car. Is the pace lap always exciting? Each year brings new excitement. And Jim, this is the second year you've taken time off from the Rockford Files to drive the pace car. You must like the Indianapolis 500. About how fast are you going when you turn off the track into the pits? Well, I think we build up to about 115 miles an hour coming off a of turn four. I doubt if we'd get any faster than that. Thank you, gentlemen, and have a good, clean start. Again, James Garner and Tony Holman at the Indy 500. And James Garner was no stranger at all, Mike, to IMS. No, and, and I was fortunate enough to meet him one time at IMS, and, and I took a chance when I went up and asked him for an autograph one time, and I, I went up and I said a line that, that if you know the movie Grand Prix, you'll know what I'm talking about. And if you've never seen Grand Prix, you're going to have absolutely no idea what I'm talking about. But I went up to him and I, I went up to ask for him for his autograph. And I said, I said, I, I of course recognize from photographs, the well-known Mr. Aaron. And that's a line from the movie Grand Prix where he's playing a, he had, he had been fired from his job early in the movie uh, because of an accident at the beginning of the movie Grand Prix. And so he was acting as a TV reporter, and he was asking a, a man for an interview, and the, the man's basically interpreter, um, uh, Tashir Mufun's uh, uh, interpreter basically says, yes, I know who you are, but basically why are you asking, you know, not driving? And so I, I said that to him. I said, of course, I recognize from photographs the well-known Mr. Aaron. You know, the name of his character in the movie is Pete Aaron. And I thought either this is going to get a great laugh from him or a smile, or he's going to look at me like he has no idea what I'm talking about. And as soon as I said it, he got a big smile on his face, and he knew the line immediately, and I was really happy I said it. But but I, it was one of those things that I they could have completely blown up in my face. Always um, seemed like but, he was a pretty cool guy. Oh, he was really – he couldn't have been more cordial, 
couldn't have been more friendly, an absolute enthusiast. I mean, loved racing, Um, you know, probably could have been, you know, like Paul Newman could have been a race car driver. Um, If he, if he would have wanted to do that, I think full time. I mean, I think, I think James Garner could have been a race car driver. And, you know, it's interesting that we talk about actors that, that are interested in racing because, um, you know, I got, I was lucky enough to, to watch the 1993 Michigan 500 with Paul Newman, which is one of the, my favorite memories of my entire racing career, if you want to call it racing career, media career. At the, at the Michigan 500, at the Michigan International Speedway, it was myself, a friend of mine, Paul Newman, and, and basically Paul Newman's bodyguard standing on top of the media center. And, and basically, one night I'll have to tell the story about Paul Newman and I exchanging nickels on top of the media center. It's one of my favorite memories that I, I, I mean, I'll remember it the rest of my life. Did it he was, bring hard-boiled eggs? Absolutely. What did he say? Did he bring hard-boiled eggs? No, he, he, but he brought nickels, and uh, he, he actually borrowed my scanner to listen to part of the race because you know he wanted to, because just two cars were dominating the race. So he he borrowed my scanner, which I thought was so cool. And then, I guess I can really tell it really fairly quickly. He said, uh, you know, he was very close friends with Mario Andretti, and he said to me because I think Mario is going to win, and I said, well, I think Nigel Mansell is going to win this one today. And you know, he he was happy because we both thought one right. of the cars was going. Either way, win. he was good, right? Yeah, so he says to me, he says, he goes, well, I tell you what, he goes, every time, every time Nigel leads the lap, I'll give you a nickel, and every time Mario leads the lap, you owe me a nickel. And we literally stood on top of the media center handing each other nickels. Now, I ended up with more nickels because, because Nigel led the most laps and won the race. But it was just what was cool about it for me. But who was, supplied the nickels to begin with? He had the nickels. So they were all his, right? Yeah, so that's kind of cool. His, basically, so and do you still have any of the nickels? Out anything? You know, I'm not out anything because he's providing the nickels. Right? Did so, Did you keep any of them? Oh yeah, I kept a few of them. Yeah, n- absolutely. And the best part about it was for me, I'm standing there with Paul Newman, and I mean, he's an international massive star, and he could have just been any guy standing there because he didn't have any. There was no pretentious part of it. It was just. We're having a good time. Like, I'm listening. I was listening on again. I had a pretty crude scanner at the time because, I mean, I was 23 years old. I couldn't afford anything. And he asked me, he said, do you mind if I listen in on, on the scanner? I want to listen to what's going on with my team. And I'm thinking, Paul Newman's borrowing my scanner. How does know? Paul so Newman not have a scanner? Right. He didn't have a scanner with him. It was just, he's just, but again, he was just being just a regular guy up there. And what's funny is I didn't want to intrude on his privacy, so I didn't want to take pictures up there or anything like that. I took one photograph, and the it's funny part is the, the one photograph I took, Mario and Nigel went into turn one together, and it honestly looked like the two of them were going about, about to crash into each other. And Paul Newman put his hands over his face because he thought there was going to be an accident involving his two cars taking each other out, and that's exactly when I snapped the picture. So I don't have a picture of his face because he basically put his hands to his face like, like, oh, no, they're about to crash into each other. So, But it was an absolutely special memory because he just was just a regular guy up there. And, he, you know, in, in the yellow flags, you know, I got to ask him questions and just he would answer questions about like his, you know, I, I asked him a couple movie career questions. And I asked him why he didn't sign autographs, you know, in person. Just, just I wanted to know in general. And he told me a a very R-rated story about why he didn't sign autographs anymore. And it was just, just a guy. And he, he couldn't have been any friendlier. And it was just one of my just cherished memories. That was in Michigan? That was at Michigan International Speedway in 1993. Uh, in 19, 
77, by the way. James Garner was the pace car driver driving the Oldsmobile Delta 88. He also drove it in 75, driving the Buick V8. Uh, I had mentioned when presidents or former presidents have come to the Speedway, one of the most amazing things I ever saw, Mike, was, and I'm trying to recall, I want to say that it was 2004. I could be wrong in that, when both Bill Clinton and George Herbert Walker Bush came to the Indianapolis 500 on race day. Um, I'm fairly certain, no, it wasn't 2004, because Allinger Jr. was driving for, at the time, he was driving for Tom Kelly. So what year would that have been? So he was driving He was driving for Kelly Racing at the time? Correct, Allinger Jr. was. So that would have been... Oh, three? Uh, so Brad says 2003. No, they say 2000 and... Well, when he he ran for Kelly... Yeah, but it would have been 2003. Okay. So I'm at the race on race morning working for Channel 6, and I'm in the garage area, and George Herbert Walker Bush was inside Allen Sir Jr.'s garage, and the Secret Service is standing next to him, and I'm facing the exit to the garage because I know that George Herbert Walker Bush, President Bush, is going to be coming out and... You know, there's I'm one of a hundred different media people uh, waiting for him, but I happen to be in pole position, if you will. And the Secret Service guy was standing right across from me and said, "If you get too close, I will let you know." And I said, "Okay." And in the most bizarre thing that I've ever seen in my life, obviously the airspace above the speedway is closed, but there was a plane that was starting to get close over. You could see it on the horizon past turn one that had like signage, like you know, a, a banner of some sort. And the Secret Service guy talked into his cufflink, asked who it was, and said that the airspace needed to be cleared. I kid you not. It was like something out of a James Bond movie. And I looked up, oh, and yeah. lo and behold, that bad boy was gone. Mike, a lot of fun yeah, tonight. Uh, we'll figure out what we around. want to do for tomorrow. And um, tomorrow night, 8 o'clock, we'll do it all once again. Sound good to you? Sounds good to me. All right, appreciate it. For those of you who listen tonight, appreciate it. If you're listening on a podcast, at Jake Query, J-A-K-E-Q-U-E-R-Y on Twitter or at Thompson, T-H-O-M-S-E-N-419. Have a great night. We'll talk to you in 23 hours. The Indiana union construction industry remains focused on getting the job done and keeping our communities running. We all look forward to getting back on track. For over 100 years, our contractors and skilled tradesmen and women built and maintained Indiana's hospitals, highways, bridges, schools, and utilities. Essential infrastructure that keeps our state moving forward during all conditions. And with safety as a top priority, we're ready for whatever it takes to rebuild our economy. We built Indiana's past, and we'll be there to build Indiana's future. The Indiana Union Construction Industry. Value on display every day. Hi, I'm Brian Fisher, business agent of UA Local 669 Sprinkler Fitters. This message has been brought to you by the proud members of Road Sprinkler Fitters Local 669, protecting your home, schools, workplace, and property since 1915. The proud members of Road Sprinkler Fitters Local 669. It's the American dream, but today's economy is challenging. Have you fallen behind on your mortgage payments? Many homeowners facing financial difficulty often feel lost and don't know where to turn for help. The airwaves are filled with offers of fast and simple relief. However, many find these offers often lead to damaged credit, higher debt, and ultimately the loss of one's home. 
If it seems like there's no way out, know there is legitimate help available. The National Foundation for Credit Counseling is a nonprofit organization that has provided answers and concrete solutions to consumers in situations just like yours for more than 60 years. Our certified housing specialists will work with you to review your finances and create a custom plan that's right for your specific situation. NFCC member agencies provide free and affordable help and meet U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development standards. Call 866-687-6322 or visit mortgagehelpnow.org. 